Thank you, worship team, for leading us today. Grab your Bibles if you would. Turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 9. We're going to be looking at Isaiah, chapter number 9. And then we're going to move to the New Testament here a little bit later. It's wonderful to see many familiar faces, some faces that are just here a couple times of the year visiting family and as well some new faces. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word with you this morning, I'd encourage you to look in those chairs around you. You'll find a smaller black Bible, about every third chair, and you can follow along with us today. And if you don't have your own copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to keep that one. There's also some in the back at the bookcase by the sound booth as well. The last two songs that were sung this morning, the special from the worship team is a song that introduces our theme through the Advent season, Hope Has Come. And that last song we sang, I asked Albany earlier in the week if we could sing it this week because it fits very well with our theme for today, Jesus Christ being our living hope, being the light of life. And it doesn't hurt that it's also one of my favorite songs. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7 are what we're going to be looking at to begin our time. On October the 11th, 2016, an article was written in the New York Times by a man named William Grimes, sharing the true story of a man named Don Fendler. Now, Don was born back in 1926, and in 1939, at the age of 12, he made history. William Grimes wrote the following about Don. July 1939. The world teetered on the brink of war as Hitler menaced Poland. The 11th millionth visitor passed through the turnstiles of the New York World's Fair. Baseball fans still reeled after Lou Gehrig's luckiest man speech at Yankee Stadium. But many Americans could only think of Don Fendler. Don was hiking Mount Katahdin, the largest mountain in the state of Maine, with his father, his brothers, and with a friend, trying to get to the peak of the mountain. Don raced up ahead to try to be the first one to reach the point of the, the top of the mountain. And at one point, he went too far ahead and decided to turn back to find his party. But yet as he turned around, he noticed that there was a dense fog along this unclear trail. And looking back and disoriented, he soon lost the trail altogether. He was a 12-year-old boy, lost alone in the wilderness, without any water or food, and darkness was coming. Have you ever found yourself lost before? The feeling of uncertainty and hopelessness, similar to what Don is facing, can be debilitating. It can be hard to have hope if you're lost and afraid of what may, be ha what may happen if you're never found. I'm sure that sense of hopelessness hits hardest when it's dark. And like Don, you wonder if there's going to be someone who will ever see you and rescue you. Yet this theme of being lost and needing hope and rescue is one found throughout the scripture as well. And it's going to be the first that we look at here within this Advent series. As we've already looked at through our time together, we're going to follow the Hope Has Come Advent series. And today we're going to look at the theme of hope, followed next week by peace, followed by joy, and then finally by love. Today, as we look at hope, we're first going to see future hope. In the book of Isaiah, we see future hope. And we call this future hope because the prophecy spoken here is not going to be fulfilled for 700 years. This book of Isaiah is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and it's found in the prophetic books of the Old Testament. During this time, followers of God were under a set of laws, of rules and regulations 
The first five books of the Old Testament cover these. We call them the Pentateuch. As these people would have to follow a strict set of rules and regulations and would have to sacrifice animals for the sins that they committed against God. Now as we turn here to the book of Isaiah, we see the prophet Isaiah, a man that God chose to speak his truth, speaking on behalf of God to Israel's leaders. Israel was God's chosen nation, yet it had chosen to become a land of sin, of corruption, and of idolatry. Now, while there was always a remnant of believers who were faithful to God, many throughout Israel rebelled against God. The nation of Israel chose to walk in darkness rather than light. And Isaiah was tasked with continuing to proclaim and warn the nation of their coming punishment and of their coming judgment. And before we jump into our text here in Isaiah chapter 9, I want to draw our attention to the end of chapter 8, where we see Isaiah sharing what the Lord had told him as God spoke to Isaiah about the foolishness of these people and the decisions that they were making. These Israelites were falling into conspiracies Many in Israel and Judah refused to believe that God would continue to preserve his chosen people. Some were even choosing to practice pagan rituals, such as trying to connect with the dead through a medium to find out the future, and instead of, of obeying what God had shared through his prophets. These rituals and the other idolatrous worship that the Israelites held didn't have the desired effect. Look back with me at Isaiah 8, 21 through 22, where the prophet Isaiah then says, speaking on God's behalf, they will pass through the land, these people greatly distressed, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. These people would be thrust into a deep darkness based on the decisions that they were making. And I believe that these Israelites and their attitudes don't just reflect people of that day, but reflect people of our day as well. Now we here as a church, as we look at the Bible, we believe that God no longer speaks through prophets because we have God's written revelation, his written word to us, his written truth. But as we study the Bible, we see that it shares with us that we are born, all of us are born in sin. Sin entered into the world through Adam's disobedience against a holy God and all of us have sinned, and that sin has darkened our eyes, our hearts from the truth. It has marred our relationship with God, and Ephesians 4.18 shares with us that we are darkened in our understanding, and that we are alienated, that we are isolated from our relationship with God. Much like these Israelites... We try to do all kinds of things to fill this dark space in our life. Yet in John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says that the people love darkness rather than light because of that sinfulness in our hearts. So many people spend their lives looking for hope outside of God. They go Black Friday shopping looking for a deal that will bring them lasting satisfaction. And while they might get it for a short time, it never lasts. They put their hope and faith in their favorite sports team that may win and it may satisfy that need for a short time, but it never lasts. And if they lose, they become disappointed. They numb that void through alcohol or other drugs. They look to other fallen sinners through the relationships that they have or through governing leaders to bring the relief that they so crave. But yet they can't fill that void. 
like the Israelites, they flock towards spiritualists. They flock towards false teachers only to be let down by their answers. They search high and they search low, but they reject the God of the Bible. In many ways, I think that they feel similar to the way that Don Fendler felt when he was lost and isolated from his loved ones with the darkness of night coming upon him. Now Don, however, was a Boy Scout, so he thought he would have some skills that would help him survive in the wilderness. He spent the night in the crook of a tree, and then he set out the next morning to try to find the right trail to go on. He would continue, though, wandering for that right trail on that mountain for the next nine days. Throughout those nine days, search and rescue operations searched the mountain for Don. The Adventure Journal chronicles that at one point a small pair of footprints were discovered that led directly to the lip of an overhanging cliff that plunged hundreds of feet to the rocks below. It appeared as though somebody Don's size had walked off right off the cliff into their doom. Don's family, much like the Israelites, were left in and of themselves without much hope. Yet, as we turn back to this passage in the book of Isaiah, we see that there is hope, that there's future hope, as God wasn't done using his prophet to proclaim the truth just yet. Because as we look at chapter 9, we see a transition that the author clearly intends here. We see these people at the end of chapter 8 being thrust into dark, deep darkness, thick darkness. But then something changes there in chapter number 9. The first, chap, the first verse of chapter 9 shares with us that there will be no doom for those who are in anguish. Because something incredible is going to happen. Let's look here at verse 2 here within the text where it shares with us the people who walked in darkness had seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. The light that these people would see would be unlike anything that they had ever seen before. Continuing on through our verses that we're going to look at here in Isaiah, it says in verse 3, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Verse 5, for every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. These people would see a great light. The light that they would see would be unlike any that had been seen before. Recently, my wife Anna and I had our windows replaced in the condominium where we live. Now, the windows that we had there were old and very inefficient windows. And oftentimes, as you would walk upstairs, if it was a warm and sunny day, the temperature would be much warmer. Sometimes it felt like four or five degrees warmer upstairs than it was downstairs. And so we had our windows replaced, and we've already been seeing the benefits of that. But a couple years ago, when I really started knowing this problem, before I wanted to spend the money investing in these windows and saving towards that, I decided that I would try to fix this problem by purchasing some blackout shades for the room. 
So I went to the store and I purchased these shades and I had never used blackout shades or anything like that before. I just had simple blinds that were the normal light filtering ones. Now, I knew that these shades were going to help keep light out of the room, but I didn't really realize that when they said blackout shades, they meant blackout shades. And I remember when I first got those shades, laying in bed at night and marveling because I could put my hand right in front of my eyes and I couldn't see it at night. It made the room completely pitch black. And as I would have to get up at night sometimes, I knew the layout of the room, so I could feel my way around there. But if I wasn't careful, I would have broken my neck there in that room. Now, knowing the layout and things, I could kind of move around a little bit. But let's imagine one night I wake up, I'm trying to move around, and then all of a sudden, every single light in the entire home turns on. That much illumination is going to help me, and I'm not going to have any problems getting where I need to go around the house at that point. Similarly, these Israelites who were rejecting God were walking in utter darkness, unable to see anything in front of them, when all of a sudden a light shone that no one would be able to miss. Every single light in the house would be turned on because those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light had shone. Now, as they see that light, again, remember, this prophecy would not be fulfilled for 700 years. And so they saw that light dimly right now. It was there. The prophet Isaiah spoke it, and it would be true. But as I shared that story at the, at, during first service, at the end, someone came up to me and shared with me a great idea that I never thought about all that time that I had those blackout shades. They said to me, why didn't you put a nightlight in the room? <laughs> so, I don't know, I never thought about that. And this light that these people would see would kind of be like a nightlight right now. It was a future hope. It was something that was going to be true but they couldn't fully see it yet. And through this, we see through our future hope that God provides for his people. God provides for his people. And I want to make sure to emphasize here that in the context that we're studying, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. This was written to the nation of Israel. It wasn't originally written for us here today. But this is much more than a history lesson because God's word is true. And he's given all of it to us for a reason. And we can draw applications to our lives from these sections of the Bible. And as well, after we focus here on the nation of Israel, then we'll focus ourselves, our attention to the New Testament where we can find applications for us as well. But from this, we see that God provided the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, this light. And I find it interesting that often in the book of Isaiah, instances of light and darkness are associated with deliverance and justice. So as we think here of this text, as it shares in verse 2, these people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It's not talking about the fact that suddenly they could see the sun come out. It's talking the fact that they would be delivered, that there would be justice. This verse makes a similar association there. Those who were in despair because of the great judgment that faced them would be delivered to new life. There would be a future hope that they would experience. Secondly, we see from this then that God produces his people and he produces his people not only physically but he produces joy in them as well verse 3 it shares with us you have multiplied the nation you have increased its joy they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil 
God produces his people, and over and over again in the Bible, we see God confirming his covenant with Abraham. And this is another example of that. We're in Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and as the sand is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. God would continue to multiply his chosen nation of Israel numerically, but as well, he would put joy in their hearts. It shares there. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. Some of you may have had a garden where after you plant those items in your garden, you have so much that after you take everything, you're trying to give it away to people. And that's what this joy would be like. It would be one where it would be multiplied to the point that they would be seeking to give it away to other people. There would be great joy that God would produce in his people. Yet not only would he bring this production of people and of joy, but as well, God would protect his people. God protects his people. And as we look here in verses 4 and 5, they share with us this, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What this is referencing is what we see at the beginning of this chapter. As we see the northern parts of Israel being the first to suffer from being invaded by Assyria. Not only were these people walking in spiritual gloom, but their walls were being taken over by another country. And yet we see in these verses that God would protect and free Israel from every nation that would come after them. Whether it was Assyria, Babylon, or anyone else, God would protect his chosen people. Jesus would come, and he would be a peacemaker, not simply in a physical sense, though, but more importantly, in a spiritual sense. And here, in verses 6 and 7, the final parts that we look at here, we see several truths about Jesus to highlight. The first one that we see that Jesus would be born as a child. Verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born. It also says that a son is given. He would be the son of the Virgin Mary, the one and only person who would ever be born of a virgin. Next we see that Jesus would be royalty. It says in the second part there of verse 6 that the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government being upon his shoulder means that he would be born with the right to the Davidic throne. He would later be known as the king of the Jews. Third then, we see that Jesus would be a wonderful counselor. That his name will be called Wonderful exceptional or distinguished counselor. Jesus would have the supernatural wisdom from God that would allow him to rule and reign more wisely than any other leader. All the knowledge that God had, Jesus had and has. But next, he would be a mighty God, that he would be a champion God. John Oswald in his commentary on Isaiah says, This king would have, will have God's true might about him, being so powerful as to be able to absorb all evil and defeat it. Jesus, just like God, was able to absorb all evil and defeat it. But as well, Jesus would be an everlasting father. He would be a father for his people over or forever and ever. And his reign would be characterized then by peace. 
it says that he would be the everlasting father, the prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Jesus would bring hope to these people that could only come from the Son of God. Yet that same hope isn't just available for the Israelites today, but it's available for you and I as well. And so as we talk about that, today we see that that light isn't a nightlight anymore. It isn't simply something that they can see and know 700 years later or a long time from now something was going to happen. But that time of waiting is over and we have salvation through Jesus Christ. Yet you may be here today and it's the first time that you've been at church in a long time or ever. You may be here today visiting with someone and you don't really know much about this personal relationship with Jesus business. For others of you, it may be your thousandth time hearing this message, yet you haven't put your personal faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And for many others, you find yourself somewhere in between. And so I think that as we talk about hope here today, the best hope that I can share with you is the true good news of Jesus Christ that Scripture shares with us. We see that throughout the Gospels, throughout the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but sprinkled throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. And John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the only help, the, the only hope the Bible tells us that we have not to walk in darkness because of our sinful condition. The Bible shares with us that our sinful condition is something that each and every one of us are born with. It's not something that we have to be taught. It's something that has infected every part of our being. Psalm 51, verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Yet the Bible shares with us that God is a holy God, that he is completely set apart from sin, that he can have nothing to do with it. You and I were originally created to have a relationship with God forever, but our sin forever messed that up. And that sin that we have leads to death. The book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that man was Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Yet in the New Testament Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that God sent His Son Jesus to take care of our sin problem. In John 3.16, the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but they will have eternal life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says... For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Bible shares with us that regardless of what we've done, whether it's good, whether it's bad, regardless of our past, regardless of how much we've been in church, regardless of if it's our first time here or if it's our thousandth time here, that only God can save us. And it's not because of anything that we can do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And so I'd like to share with you to illustrate this, a few pictures from a track that we have out in our track rack as you leave this morning. It's my favorite track. It's called God's Bridge to Eternal Life. And in that track, we see that God's purpose for our lives is to glorify Him, a holy, perfect God that is worthy to be glorified forever. And yet we have this problem, this problem of sin. 
Sin's penalty, the Bible shares with us as we looked at, is death. And yet we do so many things to try to bridge this gap instead of falling into our eternal death. We try to fill that gap with our good works, especially during this time of year. We try to be really good to other people and do a lot of good things and to share Christmas cheer. We look to our religion and going to church and being here. We look to our money and giving back the wealth that we have to other people, to our church, or to other things. We look to being good people and having good morality. But yet the Bible shares with us that none of these things can save us from our sinful condition. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says that God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of our good deeds, but according to his own mercy. The mercy that he gave us in sending his son, Jesus Christ. And we can only come to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ's finished work for us on the cross. Finally then, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that we see that it's not because of our good works, not because of any other religion, not because of what we may believe spiritually or any of those things, but by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can come to God the Father. It's not based on us, but it's based on Him. Christ's payment is what bridges the gap so that we can have eternal life. So you may be sitting here this morning and asking yourself, okay then, how do I do this? How do I trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior? Well, the Bible shares with us that everyone Everyone means every single person. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and there's no strings attached to that. It shares with us, then, that we have to do three things in order to become a follower of Jesus Christ. A, we have to admit that we are sinners. We have to admit that we have a sinful condition. We have to believe in Jesus' finished work on the cross for our, on our behalf. That his death paid the penalty for our sins. That a perfect God paid the price so that we could have a relationship with God forever. And see, we have to confess that we are in need of saving. That we have to ask God to save us from our sins. We have to admit that we are a sinner, believe in Jesus' finished work, and confess. We have to call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Now that's a decision that you can make on your own. In fact, you can do that in your chair right now. And if God is prompting you to do that, I hope that you will. But that's a decision that I know some of you may say, well, I need help with that. There's things that I don't understand. I want to ask some more questions. And we're here to help you with that. After the service is over, Pastor Scott, who prayed and shared announcements this morning, he'll be up here in front. I'll be in the back there. We would love to open up God's Word and share with you how you can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If the person that brought you this morning is a Christian, they can share with that as well. They can share that with you as well. Or if you're still not sure, there's a leadership board out in right out as you leave here this morning and you can find an elder, a deacon, a ministry leader here in our church. And I would encourage you, as we don't know when our last day here is on this earth, we would love to help you see that wonderful light that God has revealed to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because through the gift of God's Son and through the hope that He brings, number two, we can find that we have living hope the hope that we have is not a dead hope it's not a passing hope it's not found in a sports team it's not found on a great black friday deal it's not found in a human relationship it is found 
and Jesus Christ. I would encourage you then to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. 1 Peter, chapter number 1, these verses that we sang about and that Pastor Scott shared earlier as he lit the Advent candle. Hope is a powerful tool. There's no doubt about that. But I think it's especially powerful when you find your hope in something that's living. We see the greatest example of that in Jesus Christ, but we also see that in stories such as that of our friend Don Fendler. As Don's disappearance in the wilderness launched a manhunt that became front-page news throughout the nation and involved hundreds of volunteers. Stories were shared of hundreds, if not thousands, of mothers praying for Don and sending telegrams of encouragement to his mother. Don's father was quoted in the Boston Globe several days after his disappearance, saying that he was still trying to make himself believe that there's a faint thread of hope that his son was alive. I'm certain that Don's parents had a renewed sense of hope after receiving word that Don had not fallen off a cliff, but was alive. His time as a Boy Scout taught him the proper berries that he could eat while in the wilderness. And nine days after being separated from his family, Don was found. Nearly naked, dehydrated, 16 pounds lighter, and starving by a couple staying at a cabin next to a lake 48 miles from where he departed from his family. The couple was able to get Don's parents on the phone and tell them that their son was alive. And Don's parents could then have hope knowing that their son was alive. To a much greater extent, we can have hope as believers because God's Son, Jesus Christ, is alive. He is our living hope. We see that here in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verses 3 to 5 together. Where they say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That hope has come, Advent study, that several of you will be studying, says this, because Jesus is alive, we can be alive. We can hope. We can live as people who have eternal heavenly hope. Praise be to God. While the Old Testament system of forgiveness offered a set of rules and regulations that no one could perfectly follow, Jesus Christ offers full forgiveness for each of us if we call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Imagine for a moment this Old Testament system of obtaining forgiveness. As you would sin, then you would have to take an animal, the best one that you would have, and you would have to offer it up to a priest who every day was on his feet doing the physically taxing job of picking up that animal, of putting it on the altar, of sacrificing it, of the bloody mess that that would be, of the sweat that they would have, at the end of the day wanting to just wash themselves of the filth and stench of it. Now contrast that with what Hebrews chapter 10 says about Jesus where it says every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he, had per, he has perfected for all time 
those who are being sanctified. Jesus Christ finished the work, and he was no longer up offering sacrifices. He sat down. He sat down showing that the work had been finished. As we see this beautiful picture of Jesus there, we continue to see in Scripture that Jesus is still there at the right hand of the Father and that He will be there until He returns to earth for His children. The work has been done, and we can have living hope through Jesus Christ. Through this text, then, we see that we have a living hope and that God purifies His people. It shares with us in verse 3 that according to God's great mercy, we have been born again, we have been purified by a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through Jesus' sacrifice, through his resurrection, we can be made pure. Our life can turn from that dark room with no light to one that is fully illuminated and brings glory to our Creator. We see that God purifies His people, but as well that He preserves us as His people, and that we are preserved for an incredible inheritance. Verse 4 To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What is that inheritance that we have? Again, going back to the God's Bridge track, we see that after we have passed from sin's penalty death, we then have eternal life. That God gives us three promises for our inheritance. His, his promise for us is, number one, that we can have eternal life with God forever in a place called heaven. And that eternal part is one that if you're anything like me, you have a really hard time grasping because God's view of time is much different than ours. And so I always view things as there's going to be a time where it ends. There's going to be a time where this service ends, where this morning ends, where this day ends. There's going to be a time where my physical life on this earth ends. But as I am found in Christ, there is not going to be a time where my eternity ends with God. It keeps going and going and going. And if you say, I can't fully fathom that, good, because we can't fully fathom the greatness and the goodness of God. And this inheritance will be an incredible one that is gifted to us by our Creator. Number two there, you see that there is no condemnation that there is a removal of the sentence to spend eternity away from God in a torturous place called hell. Hell is such a torturous and terrible place because it is completely devoid of God and of His goodness. Hell is the one place where God cannot dwell. Finally then, we see that we will pass from death to life, that we will have a new body that lasts forever. It will be one that will stand the test of eternity. It won't be the creaky ones that we have now that continue to get more difficult to function with throughout our age or throughout our life, but it will be one that's perfect forever. Yet this text shares that this inheritance will be imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It will be imperishable in that it has a forever guarantee. It endures forever. If you ever think of something that has a lifetime warranty, well, guess what? This lifetime warranty lasts forever. It never goes away. It is undefiled. It is the purest of pure. It is perfect in every single way. It can't be anything other than the most pure of pure, the most perfect that we could imagine. And yet as well, it is unfading. It never loses its brightness or vitality. The millionth day in heaven with God will be just as great and incredible as the first. 
This is our incredible inheritance that is given to us if we call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. We are preserved for an incredible inheritance unlike anything else that we could ever imagine. But as well, we are preserved by incredible power. The final verse that we'll look at, verse 5, says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Your inheritance is preserved by the Creator and the Sustainer of all things. I don't mean to be flippant when I say this, but you could never have a greater protector or bodyguard for your inheritance. You could never ask for a more powerful ruler to serve as the keeper of it. God holds all power. And when he promises to give us this inheritance, we can know that it is sure. We can know that it is true. The powerful King Nebuchadnezzar, after being humbled by God, said the following of him. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 through 35, it says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This living hope, this great inheritance is sure because God is sure. He is perfect. He is powerful. And this is what he has promised to him. And this is why we can have hope. If we are found in Christ, we can hope. And we can say, as C.S. Lewis did, that there are far, far better things ahead than anything that we leave behind. So as we conclude our time this morning, I just have one question of application for you this morning. And that's this, what are you putting your hope in? this Christmas season. As I talk to people about Christmas, it just for us often seems like a really stressful time. A time that's enjoyable, but a time where we're trying to pack in every last thing. Every last family get-together. Every last event. Every last thing. But are we putting our hope this year in that baby born in a manger who we read about in Isaiah this morning, the Prince of Peace? Or are we putting it in that sports team, that Black Friday deal, that personal relationship, that time with others? All those other things will fade. But yet if we put our hope and our living hope in Jesus Christ, we have that future inheritance that we can look forward to. And so if you are a believer in this room, I would encourage you to really examine yourself this Christmas season and see how you can shine that light, how you can reflect the light that God has shined on you to other people. How can I have hope this Christmas season and share that with others? How can I do that in my family? How can I do that in my workplace? How can I do that in the areas of influence that God has given me? But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, let me just say that I hope that you make that decision today and that you don't wait. Because you never know when your last day will be here on this earth. As we look to a lady who lived a good long life in our church, such as June Dyer, I can promise you this, that she's not up in heaven today saying, I wish I had one more day here on earth. But I hope that one day, like many of us in this room, you'll be able to join us and glorify God forever in heaven. That you are putting your hope in eternal things this Christmas season. 
Because that decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior is the only eternal decision that you will ever make. On the 70th anniversary of Don Fendler getting lost in the wilderness, he was interviewed by the Bangor Daily News in Maine. His story of survival had made national news in 1939, and because of it, he was awarded a medal for Outstanding Youth Hero of 1939 by President Franklin D. Roosevelt. It was in that interview that Don shared that he survived not only by eating berries and by his determination, but more importantly, by his faith and by his mother's prayers. Don died at the age of 90 in October of 2016. And throughout his adult life, Don spoke at schools and other venues, sharing his story, and he later co-authored a children's book called Lost on a Mountain in Maine. To prepare for this message, I read the foreword of that book, where he wrote that what he had learned from his adventure on that mountain had been a guide throughout his life. It strengthened his prayer life, his faith in God, and so many other aspects in his life. Whatever comes through our life, we can do the same by having faith and our living hope, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I do pray this morning for each of us in this room that as we look to this Advent season ahead of us, Lord, that we would put our hope in the living hope, Jesus Christ, this season. Lord, you give us so many gifts, and it's fun to enjoy them this season, from presents to trees to holiday songs and all the fun times that we enjoy with one another. But above all that, I pray that you would help each of us to focus our minds and hearts on the gift of eternal life that we can enjoy through your Son, Jesus Christ, this season. That is why we have hope, hope that doesn't fade, an eternal inheritance that we cannot even begin to fathom or imagine here on this earth. Lord, I pray that if there would be anyone in this room, anyone that's listening to our stream, anyone that hears this message at any time that does not know you as Lord and personal Savior, or that you not, would not allow them to finish that day or to leave this room without trusting in you as their Lord and personal Savior so that they could have that incredible inheritance that we only receive through your Son by your mercy. God, may these truths, the hope that we have, not only be something that we remember during Advent season, but each and every day. Help us to walk in obedience with you. And Lord, help us to share this living hope with others for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our living hope. Amen.